Galatians 5.16 to Galatians 6.5. The Word says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do these things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against there is no law, and those who are of Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one, envying one another. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Father, I thank you so much for this word. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will descend upon us and that this word would go to our hearts and in turn that we would use it in the world. I pray, Father, that you would keep Len's lips from error and you would also give him an extra filling of your Holy Spirit that he may uh, bring your word forth in a way that we will be able to do something with it in the world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Susie's school assignment was really quite simple. She was to write an essay on the humility exhibited by the Quakers. She opened her essay with this. Quakers are very meek people who never fight and never answer back. My father is a Quaker. My mother is not. <laughs> oh, me. Joyce uh, Landorf wrote a book called Tough and Tender. Tough and Tender. And she says in her book that every woman wants that balance. They want a man who has strong stability, toughness along with consideration and compassion, understanding and tact, tenderness, tough and tender. That, that's not a bad start at a biblical definition of gentleness. You know, we can be confused about the word gentleness because some people equate 
gentleness with weakness. Chuck Swindoll uh, tells the story of a pastor who was uh, conducting a marriage ceremony for a man and a woman. This was in the late 80s when it was real popular to try not to look like either a man or a woman. And these two had dressed identically. They wore their hair in exactly the same way. They had that kind of androgynous clothing look. And when the pastor got to the end of the ceremony, he simply looked at them and said, Will one of you kiss the bride? That's not gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness or gender confusion. When I was in seminary, one of our professors gave me this coin. On one side, it says tough-minded. And on the other side, it says tender-hearted. He said, carry this with you or keep it with you. Because that really is uh, the challenge of pastoral ministry. Somehow getting both of those together tough-minded and tender-hearted. That's getting close at the definition of gentleness. A pastor went to a hospital to visit one of uh, a, a lady who had gotten herself in trouble. She was in rebellion. She was doing all kinds of bad things. And though the church had continued to try to reach out to her and minister to her and bring her to Jesus, she had continued in this immoral and bad lifestyle, and it wound up in the ICU, the intensive care unit. And he was trying to think of how he would be able to bring both a call to repentance and yet at the same time comfort and compassion for the lady. And as he rode up the, hot, uh, the um, elevator, when he got to the, to the floor, the doors opened to the elevator, and there right in front was a sign that said, ICU, the intensive care unit, obviously it was written for the nurses, ICU. High-tech, gentle touch. High-tech, gentle touch. Biblical restoration is high-tech healing administered with a gentle touch. Now, as we have done each week in this series, let's begin by noting that we must embrace a biblical definition of the word, in this case, gentleness. We're at the Eighth of the nine fruit listed, nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Gentleness. We must embrace a biblical definition of the word gentleness. Now that word, the Greek word is praoutes. It's translated gentleness in my version here in both verse 23 and then when Paul gives an example of its use down in chapter 6, verses, uh, verse 1. But though that word is translated gentle there, it's actually used in two different ways in the Bible. That Greek word is used two different ways in the Bible. The first way is the gentleness we give to other people as we seek to restore them. The gentleness we give to other people while we restore them. And I want you to keep in mind, please, that simply ignoring... Your sister's stumbling into sin and being overtaken by sin's long arm is not an option. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore, it's an imperative, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. My family, when we travel, we often, usually, I guess, uh, almost always now, 
uh, listen, we have the Lord of the Rings on audio CD, so uh, we listen to it. It's an unabridged reading of it. It's very well done, and so that's kind of on my mind today. But as I thought about that idea of overtaken in a sin, it reminded me of a scene in Lord of the Rings where Gandalf is opening the doors to the mines of Moria. For those who've read the book or seen the... I don't, I don't remember the movie if any of it was in there, but it says in the book this, Gandalf strode forward and set his foot on the lowest step. This is as they are entering in the mines. But at that moment, Frodo felt something seize him by the ankle and he fell with a cry. The others in the fellowship swung round and saw the waters of the lake seething as if a host of snakes were swimming up from the southern end. And out of the water, a long, sinuous tentacle had crawled. It was pale green and luminous and wet. Its fingered end had hold of Frodo's foot. It was dragging him into the water. Sam was on his knees now, slashing at it with a knife. The arm let go of Frodo, and Sam pulled him away, crying out for help. Twenty other arms came rippling out. The the dark water boiled, and there was a hideous stench. Boy, he is upset. He does not like the snake. I like that picture that that gives of being overtaken by sin. Frodo is overtaken by the guardian of the lake. Sin, likewise, is a monster. It's a power. It's a terror. It's a horrible strength from which God's people must be rescued. You don't leave Frodo and let him be eaten by the monster. You have to rescue. But the text, not only in saying that we must restore, it also talks about how... To do it. And the text says, with a spirit of gentleness. I want to come back and take a little time to more precisely even define that. Before we do, though, let me show you the other way this Greek word, proutes, is used in the New Testament. So here in Galatians 6, this proutes, gentleness, is how we restore others who have fallen. How we restore others when they fall. The second use is similar, but instead of how we restore others when they fall, it's how we respond when we fall. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Exact same Greek word. In English, our my Bible anyway, in fact, I think I looked it up in a bunch of different English Bibles, and I think almost all of them have either meekness in verse 21, or I think maybe a couple have humility. But almost, I think maybe every English version has a different English word here in verse 21 than it has over in Galatians 6, even though it's the exact same Greek word because there's a slightly different nuance there. So we usually in English say gentleness when we mean how we respond to others while, I mean how we um, respond to others when we're restoring them. But it's meekness when we're being convicted by the preached word and how we're supposed to respond to that. Look at James 1. I'll start in verse 19 to set it in context. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness, that word, prautes, meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Thomas Manton, I love what he said here about this meekness in verse 21, which is to be our response to convicting and clear preaching. That implanting of the word by the pastors whom God has called to care for our souls and shepherd us. How are we to respond to that with meekness? Look at what Thomas Manton says. It's on your outline if you got one. When the heart is meekened to obey a truth, the mind is soon opened to receive it. That is a profound sentence. When the heart is meekened to obey a truth, the mind is soon opened To receive it. Here's what Thomas Manton is reminding us there. We cannot understand what we are too proud to obey. We cannot understand what we are too proud to obey. The pastor who uh, mentored me when I was down in Mississippi at my first uh, singles ministry pastorate said, if you're a faithful preacher, there'll be time. And he used to to pull his hand out and he'd say, there'll be time when the hair on the back of their neck just has to stand up. Just like that. (laughs) He was saying that faithful preaching must bring personal conviction. See, it's easy to cheer when the sermon condemns those bad people out there, but how will we respond when the conviction of the Word slices into our own souls? The fruit of the Spirit is meekness. So from those two uses of praotes in the New Testament, I would offer you this definition. Gentleness is that spiritual humility which does two things. It both corrects with genuine compassion and an awareness of weakness. That's its own weakness. And it receives correction with genuine openness and a willingness to change. Let's take that definition apart. Go back to Galatians 6. I'll try to show you from where I get each step of that. First, I want you to note that gentleness requires spiritual humility. And Paul shows us this in three different ways here in Galatians 6, 1 to 3. Notice first that he says that it is the spiritual, I mean Galatians 6, 1, it is the spiritual who are to restore in a spirit of Gentleness. Now, if you've ever tried to help someone who is struggling with sin, you know that being both spiritual and gentle at the same time requires profound humility. Pride makes me harsh when correcting others. Every time. Humility produces gentleness. That's the first way Paul points to the gentleness, I mean the humility of gentleness. But then second, he also goes on to say, after saying that we should restore with the spirit of gentleness, look, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. You see, pride looks at the one who needs to be restored and says, well, they must be weak and immature because they have sinned. Such has not happened to me. I have not done this sin. After all, I'm the spiritual one who is restoring. And God says to you, watch out. In 1 Corinthians 10.12, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The old Geneva study Bible here on this verse was correct to note this. They 
are commonly the most severe judges who forget their own weaknesses. Isn't that a profound sentence? That's exactly what God is reminding us here. They are commonly the most severe judges who forget their own weaknesses. Gentleness requires great humility. But there's a third way that Paul and God, through our beloved apostle and brother Paul, reminds us of this incredible humility that must associated must be associated with gentleness. Look in verse 3. If anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Do not miss this sharp attack on pride as the essential means to producing the gentleness with which we must bear the burden of loving confrontation. Paul is clear here. We are not gentle when we confront and seek to restore because we think we are something, when in fact we are nothing. <laughs> Boy, that's easy to forget, isn't it? I love forgetting that. But I tell you, when I forget Romans seven eighteen, nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. When I forget John fifteen five, apart from abiding in me, says Jesus, you can bear no fruit. You can do no good thing. When I forget First Corinthians three seven, neither he who plants nor he who does the watering is anything. It's all God. Who brings the increase? When I forget 1 Corinthians 15.10, it is only by the grace of God that I am what I am. When I forget, my pride wells up and it takes away gentleness. That's why Augustine said this. Augustine lived 1,600 years ago. 1,600 years. You know how we all, I, I often think, that we're getting so much smarter and better. And I, I study this passage and I figure out, you know, this is about humility. And then I go and I read Augustine and there it is. Look at what he wrote. There is no surer test of a spiritual person than his treatment of another's sin. Note how he takes care to deliver the sinner rather than triumph over him, to help him rather than punish him, and so far as lies in his capacity to support him. There it is. <laughs> Humility marks the spiritual in Christ. And humility is the key attitude connected with gentleness. Then second, how does it work in practice? Gentleness humbly corrects with genuine compassion and an awareness of weakness. See, now some people, you need to know, some people imagine that that real gentleness would never confront anybody. Gentleness would always be kind of passive and taking grief, but it would never confront. But that cannot be the gentleness of the Bible because here in verse 6 it specifically says you have to be gentle and confront in the exact same verse. So you cannot define gentleness and saying, well, that just never corrects. It, it must have the toughness to correct. And likewise, gentleness cannot be the same as cowardice. You know how they have... Uh, those support groups, those 12-step groups. There was a movie we watched a few months ago or something, and the name of their support group was SPAT, Single Parents All Together. can't remember what the name of that movie was. But there was a, there's another support group called Doormats. 
doormats. It stands for dependent organization of really meek and timid souls. (laughs) But that's not gentleness. Gentleness is not fearfulness like a little mouse that runs away. A.W. Tozer wrote this, The meek man is not a human mouse, afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson. But, here's the key, he has stopped being fooled about himself. That's what they mean when they say, believing your own press. He stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is as weak and helpless as God has declared him to be. But, paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is in the sight of God more important than angels in himself nothing, in God everything. That is his motto. See, a father with a gentle spirit corrects humbly because he knows his own need for Jesus. His parenting is compassionate because he is fully aware that tomorrow he will likely fall into a similar sin and he too will want to be gently restored. It was a Friday night when, at at the carnival, his children won four goldfish. Lucky him, huh? (laughs) So, you know know what you do on Saturday morning? You go to find an aquarium. And they were expensive. They were a couple of hundred bucks. But as he looked around, he saw in the back corner a used, dirty, old, nasty, small, discarded 10-gallon tank. And it had already had gravel and a filter in it. It was only five bucks, so he bought it. He figured the... The, the nasty work of trying to clean it up would be not very big deal compared to all the financial savings. So they did, and they scrubbed it. And those four fish just looked great in their new home. But you know what? By Sunday, one had died. And Monday morning, the rest were belly up. <laughs> he called someone who knew something about fish, and that person quickly told him the problem. The soap he had used to clean the aquarium left a deadly residue that the fish could not handle. Isn't it interesting, his very efforts to clean up and do something good for those fish, that very act is what destroyed. Haven't you found that sometimes in your zeal to clean up other people's lives, you end up using those killer soaps of criticism and condemnation and and angry attacks that in fact do no good whatsoever? We think we're doing right, but our harsh and prideful and self-righteous treatment is far from gentle. John Piper writes, The way to avoid pride as you confront a brother about his sin is to act only in the power of the Spirit. Look to yourself, lest you fall prey to the temptation to rely on yourself or to exalt yourself. Remember, I love this line, you are a basket case of sin apart from God's grace. (laughs) Therefore, total reliance on Him produces gentleness or meekness. And meekness is the twin sister of humility, which is the opposite of pride and boasting. Gentleness humbly corrects with genuine compassion and an awareness of its own weakness. But then second, if you flip back over to James 1.21, we'll see here that gentleness, this same Greek word, also, not only is it humbly correct, it humbly receives correction with genuine openness and a willingness to change. It humbly receives correction with genuine openness 
and a willingness to change. In the text here in James 1.21, it's talking specifically about the preaching and receiving the implanted word, but it would apply to a broader picture since gentleness is the fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, says James, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. If I were to ask you this question, fill in the blank, faithful preaching convicts what? Faithful preaching convicts whom? Whom? Who is convicted by faithful preaching? Most of us probably think the answer is sinners, bad people. But you know, I, I don't think that's really the first way we ought to think of that. Most sinners that I meet know they're sinners, and they know that we think we're pretty good. I find they are already convicted. Faithful preaching must sometimes convict the righteous, mustn't it? Oh, if, we, if you read the Gospels, you will find that Jesus' most powerful conviction is to those who were self-righteous. <laughs> Often He preached Woe to you, Pharisees, for you think yourselves righteous. The, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, it turns out, if you actually read the text, it's not a parable about get out there and get busy rescuing people on the side of the road. The, the first line of the parable said, and so Jesus told them this parable because they were self-righteous. He presented a standard that they could not keep to show them that they needed God's grace. See, unfortunately, though, sometimes we preach only to those who are not here. It's a lot easier, it's a lot more popular to major of what's wrong with those outside the church. But a motto I try to remember is this, the men who are church officers, and I count myself there, the men who are church officers need the gospel just as much as the man cheating on his wife. You know, we don't believe that, do we? The men who are church officers, I need the gospel just as much as the man cheating on his wife. See, the word preached must convict the self-righteous as surely as the unrighteous that both might, with prautes, meekness, receive the implanted word and run to Christ for grace. You know, if I, if I could have one wish, I think I would wish that I was as good as you think I am. I appreciate so much that wonderful pile of letters and cards and notes that you gave me for Pastor Appreciation Month. I, ha I do have some good news for us. I, I called Hallmark, and we're going to do that in December again and February too. So go ahead and put all of those together. I appreciate that. As I read through those letters, it crossed my mind that you are either too kind or just silly because I cannot be as good as you think I am. But you know what? I'm going to let you in on a secret. You're not as good as you look either. <laughs> I mean, you look good there. You guys are all sitting in rows and everything. you got your Bibles open. You just look good. And you know what? It's easy to believe our own press and forget that we need a Savior. See, faithful preaching 
will implant the Word deeply into our souls that we might with meekness run to a gentle Savior. Here's my definition. I think it's biblical. This gentleness is that spiritual humility which both corrects with genuine compassion and an awareness of weakness and receives correction with genuine openness and a willingness to change. That's our definition. Then second, I would ask that you labor to deny yourself the opposite of gentleness, which is harsh or angry pride. In Galatians and in James, as as, the, as God is telling us to be gentle around that verse, He warns us of the opposite danger. In uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26, He says, If you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, but let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then He talks about gentleness. And over in James 1, He says in verses 19 and 20, Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, therefore receive with meekness. Now, if you have ever, if you have ever tried to restore a brother or sister who has been overtaken in one of those trespasses, you know the grief such work can bring. Now, let's just admit, it's rarely pleasant. We, we seek to do this labor in Christ for He promises us that He's gentle and He's going to give us rest. But, you know, taking that yoke upon you can gall the shoulder, can't it? When it's a difficult ministry of restoring a sister who is overtaken in sin. And if we lack a humble spirit, we will quickly grow discouraged and dislike Christ's call. Because, listen, you just got to know this, someone's going to object. If you start doing what God says, someone will object. They will tell you you did not do it well. <laughs> they will point out that you've been critical instead of compassionate. You've been caustic instead of caring. It doesn't matter how helpful your intentions or how truthful your position. Your method will grieve them. And that's a gift of God. Why is it always that way? Because God is producing in you humility and gentleness. I remember well the, when the criticisms came so fast and furious at the church in Chicago. No one ever said my preaching was unbiblical. No one claimed that I was not striving to practice what I preach. No, they said, oh, he doesn't care about their needs. He does not consider the lost. He does not preach in a way that comforts those who hate Jesus. And you know what? It made me angry. <laughs> I didn't like it. I was hurt. I found my proud spirit welling up inside of me, and I longed to defend myself. It was easy to grow discouraged and irritated and cry because I was not appreciated. So you need to know this. Whenever you are doing a faithful ministry in the church, people will rise up who find fault. And if you bless God for that, you will learn a meek and humble spirit. See, the woman of God is, who is gentle is not easily offended by these things. She's ready to forgive her harsh friend, the overly critical sister, the self-righteous do-gooder. Why? Because she has a meek and gentle spirit. She doesn't need to be exalted. She's delighted that Christ is exalted in her humility. Deny yourself that harshness and anger which comes from a prideful spirit. 
that you might find your need for the grace of a humble Savior. Then third, we must be cautious of the counterfeit of gentleness. The counterfeit is just ignoring problems. It's just to ignore the things that are going wrong. Because listen, those who gloss over sins and just ignore trespasses, they look gentle, don't they? That's why I took the time to read for you the, the, the attack from the lake on Frodo so that you would have in your mind an image of this sin coming out and grabbing your dear brother and sister. You can't ignore it. You must jump down. Love demands that we slash at it with a knife. And because sin can stop people's ears, gentleness must sometimes be shocking in order to save. But when we do that, criticisms will come. And when they come, you're going to be sorely tempted to just hide your eyes from the problems, to ignore the monster that threatens God's people. In the Bible, that happened all too often. One of the most poignant times was in the ministry of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 6, I'm sure you're familiar with this passage, God condemns the priests, the pastors. He said, they heal my people lightly. They simply stand up and say, oh, there's peace. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. And of course, Jeremiah was the prophet who preached when God came and had to discipline his people, right? You know, he took them off into slavery. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because he stands there as they are carried off in chains, beaten, stripped, embarrassed, humiliated, abused, miserable. And he's crying over what has happened to Israel. And then he explains in Lamentations, the poem of weeping. He says, he's speaking for God here. God tells us why this has happened. He says this in Lamentations 2.14. Your prophets have seen false and deceptive visions. And what is the false and deceptive vision? They have not exposed your iniquities to restore your fortunes. They have not exposed your iniquities. Faithful preaching must expose our iniquities, our need for Christ, that we might run to Him and have our fortunes restored. God is saying they could have implanted a word for the saving of your soul, but they looked out at the congregation and they saw some frowny faces and they were afraid and they brought instead a message of peace when there was no peace. Beware the counterfeit of gentleness. So then forth, how do we cultivate these things? Well, just like on any of the fruits of the Spirit, anytime you want to cultivate something that's a biblical character trait, you can always do it with a rap bat. R-A-P-B-A-T, R stands for read. I really wanted to, when I started out this sermon, I intended to talk a lot about Matthew eleven twenty nine, but then I, well, at 11 o'clock last night, I just gave up. <laughs> 11.29, Matthew 11.29, Jesus says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of spirit. Now that verse, 11.29, occurs right after Jesus gave some of His most strong and caustic rebukes to the self-righteous. Woe to you Pharisees! This is what you're doing wrong but take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle 
and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Please read the Gospels. Take your Bible out. Read through. Pick a Gospel. Matthew, Luke, Mark, one of them. Make a chart. Write down every time Jesus is critical and corrects someone, and every time He's gentle. And learn from your gentle Savior how He balances tough-mindedness with tender-heartedness. Read. It is by... Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. Hear Jesus speak to you in His Word. And the gentle Savior will make you gentle. Then second, admit. Admit. Now, I can readily admit that some of you are much more naturally gentle than I am. But listen, none of us bears the fruit of spiritual gentleness apart from abiding in Christ. Will you admit that if you were to put yourself in the place where criticisms come fast and furious for your compassionate correcting, that you would struggle to be gentle? Can you admit that in the presence of convicting preaching, sometimes even your hair rises up on the back of your neck rather than being meek? Admit that left to yourself, you would dissolve into harsh and angry pride. Admit that you need a gentle Savior. Then third, pray. Pray, ask God. He loves to give good gifts to His children. Will we ask Him for gentleness? I, I, this Over the weekend, while we were Presbytery, I ran across this verse in 2 Corinthians 4.1. Therefore, having this ministry as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. You know what? We have a ministry. A ministry of gentle restoration of our brothers and sisters when they are overtaken by sin, and a ministry of meek and humble receiving of the implanted Word. And that's a hard ministry. Both of those are very difficult. It's easy to lose heart. What will we do? Look at 2 Corinthians 4.1. We have this ministry as we have received mercy. There is nothing you lack. We have seen that in the Lord's Supper, have we not? Do not lose heart. The Father has ample mercy for you to engage in all the ministries of gentleness. Then fourth, believe. Trust God for humility. Believe His promise that He will make you humble. Trust in Jesus to make you a gentle and godly man or woman of God. Then fifth, act. When you sense that harsh and angry spirit welling up in your belly, rising up, stop and think, what would a gentle person do in this situation? That's probably the, the one thing we could all do to most help us bear the fruit of God's Spirit is to stop what we're doing. You know, like Jay Adams is teaching uh, your session as we work through this uh, biblical counseling training. Jay Adams says the most important word in biblical counseling is... Whoa! Just stop. Hold on a second and think. I feel it welling up, and what we usually do is we react to it. I'm out of control. My emotions are telling me to do this. But if we pause, picture in our minds someone we know who is gentle. I know a man named Bob in Chicago. Hopefully one day he'll get to come and visit us and preach, and he'll encourage you greatly. He is a model of gentleness. 
Think of how would Bob respond in that situation. And then trusting God to produce the fruit of good works, act as a gentle person would act. I know it's not you, but you've prayed and you've admitted that you can't do it and you've been promised by Jesus that He will do it in you. So act as if you were gentle and you will find the grace and mercy you need flowing through you. And then finally, thank God. Thank God that you are more gentle today than you were. Yeah, you're probably far from perfect. But He has begun a good work in you. Is He not completing it even now in your life? Are you not hearing the Word and having gentleness stirred up within your soul? St. Francis said this, Nothing is so strong as gentleness. Nothing is so gentle as real strength. Nothing is as strong as gentleness and nothing is so gentle as, Rick, as real strength. Have you, has any of you heard of Chuck Norris? Anybody heard of Chuck Norris? Oh, everybody has? Oh, okay, sorry. Hey, you know, I don't know these things. He's an actor. Anybody remember his TV show? Yeah, Walker, Texas Ranger. Walker, Texas Ranger. Did you know he's also a, a martial arts expert? Everybody knew that. You know, am I the only one that didn't know anything? You guys come up here and preach this conclusion. Six times undefeated world professional middleweight karate champion. He is the first man in the whole Western Hemisphere ever to earn an eighth degree black belt in Taekwondo. He also professes to be a born-again Christian. If you go to his webpage, he has a whole section there devoted to his faith and and uh, some of the ministries involved in. He, he's a, a speaker. He's been on uh, TBS and, and traveled and spoken with uh, T.D. Jakes, which I don't know, but I know a lot of people uh, uh, think the world of him. One evening after filming Walker, Texas Ranger, Norris stopped in to have something to drink. He, he sat alone, relaxing in a booth, and I guess as the case is in Texas, Scott Foles can probably help us understand this, one of these guys comes up, you're in my booth. You know, Chuck Norris said, he thought, he wanted to crush him. But he knew that a gentle answer turned away wrath, so he, he just said, fine, I'll, I'll just get up. And he went and sat at another booth. And then a few minutes later, here the guy comes again. And Chuck Norris writes, he says, I, I thought to myself, here it is, a local tough wants to make a name for himself by trying to take on Chuck Norris in a fight. And so he comes over to the booth he comes up to him and says, you're Chuck Norris. And Chuck said, yeah, I am. He said, you could have beaten me up a few minutes ago. <laughs> Why didn't you? And Chuck said, well, I just said, he said, uh, I, I just couldn't figure out that it would prove anything. I knew I could beat you up, and now you do too. <laughs> and the guy uh, reached out his hand and said, uh, no hard feelings. <laughs> And Chuck said, no, I, no hard feelings. He shook his hand. He said, uh, I, avoid, I avoided the confrontation, and with my gentleness I made a friend. I won by losing. I won by losing. You know, gentleness is often going to feel that way, isn't it? When you are gentle when corrected, when you are gentle when restored, it's going to sometimes feel like you're really losing a big one here. <laughs> but you know what? Here, here's... Here's something important. We have all walked up to God, sitting in His booth, 
and demanded he get out of our booth, out of our lives, and out of our world. In Romans 1, God, the Bible tells us that we have tried to throw God out in an utter act of cosmic tyranny. We've tried to throw God out of our lives and out of our universe. And you know what? He could have whooped us. But in His gentleness, in His humble gentleness, He wins us over by losing His life. You have a gentle Savior who loves you more than you could have ever dared hope. Father, we bless you and thank you that though it is ill-deserved, our Jesus has come with a gentleness that astounds us and given up everything that we might be saved. Would you now produce in us, Holy Spirit, this spiritual meekness that is able to receive this implanted word. And would you cause, as this word is implanted in our souls, would you send the refreshing rains of your spirit on them that the great fruit of gentleness might blossom and sprout in our lives. And we pray it in the name of our gentle Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.